So the other week I did this mud run. There was a team of us. We did this mud run. It was called the Rugged Maniac. It was a 5K with about 25 or so different obstacles that you had to compete along the way. It was a great challenge. You got to show me what kind of shape I'm not in and let me dream about what kind of shape I wish I were in. And of all the challenges of everything going on, there was this last challenge, the final challenge, and it was called the Warped Wall. And basically the way that worked is you ran as fast as you could towards this wall and then the wall kind of goes up at a 90 degree angle and you got to try to run up the wall, grab the top of the wall and kind of pull yourself over. Well, if you can't do all that, then you have a teammate up there who's like reaching down and helping pull you over the wall. Well, our team leader, he goes and he runs and he scales the wall just like Spider-Man. He's up on top and he's helping all of the other teammates get over the wall. And then I'm up, the last one of the group, and I run and I take off and I'm, and I'm thinking in my mind, I think I might be able to do this. Maybe I can do this. And I run as fast as I can. I reach up to grab. I'm not even close. I can't even grab hold of him just fall back down. I mean, pride takes a huge hit, ego's shot, and I'm ready just to kind of hang my head and just kind of skip the whole obstacle altogether. But our team leader says, no, 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 you're not getting that out that easy. Go back, try it again. We're going to get you over this wall. So I do. I run back, run again, and they do. My team helps me. They pull me over the wall. Well, you know, we've all had situations in life, haven't we, where we wish there was a do-over, where give me another shot. If I could just have this chance to do it again, maybe then I can make it. But there's other times, times like that wall, when you know, I just can't do that on my own. It doesn't matter how many shots I get, it doesn't matter how many do-overs I get, this is failure. I mean, I, I can't do this. I, I can't achieve that. You know, that's kind of where the Israelites were. The Israelites, they had failed so terribly. But now, God, he's going to reach down to them. They're not able to reach up to him, but, they're, but God's going to reach down to them, reestablish the covenant. We're embarking on the last three weeks of our series in Exodus, our theme, Hope for the 757. And I've so enjoyed just kind of digging into the book of Exodus with you and exploring it together. I hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and just infused with hope all along the way. And so in these last three weeks, we're looking at the final six chapters. And it's important to note that these six chapters, a lot of what we're going to see is material that was previously discussed in Exodus 25 through 31, where God is telling Moses, hey, here's how I want everything built. Here's the specifications. Here's what's supposed to happen. And the people are down the mountain, right? And they're down the mountain. God's telling Moses, here's the right way to worship. They engage in the wrong way to worship. And so after that happens, you have just this little gap here of three chapters where it deals with the people, the Israelites and their sin, their sin of idolatry, how they built this golden calf and then God's response to all that. And then these last six chapters, well, basically Moses is almost like duplicating those other ones. Just go going back. Okay. Everything that God told Moses, now Moses is telling the people, everything just gets repeated. But it's important here to look at this again, because anytime you see repetition in the Bible, anytime you see something duplicated, well, usually you want to pay special attention to that. Usually God's trying to get your attention with that. And there are several reasons here that he's trying to like get our attention with. The first is 
the people, they had just failed royally with the golden calf, right? I mean, they had blown it so bad. They had gotten rid of the one true God, built their own God, and said, we're going to worship however we want. They chose to ignore the commands that were given, the commands that they said, yes, we'll do, we'll keep those. We recognize they're for our good. And instead, they did what they wanted to do. And so now God is saying, you know what? I'm going to allow you still to be a part of this building process. I mean, you see this incredible grace of God here. The God is still going to use these people. He's not just simply going to throw them out and say, well, I'm done with you. It's it. You're destroyed because that's what their sin deserved, right? It deserved, they deserve to be disowned, abandoned, destroyed. But God doesn't do that. He reestablishes the covenant and allows them to continue in the work of building the tabernacle, the dwelling place, so that his presence could be right in their midst. You know, that's incredible. And last week, Pastor Ethan, he kind of walked you through this covenant reestablishment and what all that entailed that took place in chapter 34, how God sent Moses back to the people with these new precious stone tablets, again, engraved with his finger. God fixed what humanity broke. I mean, he's able to renew what humanity destroys. And so we saw all that. So as we kind of get into this this morning, we're going to be looking at Exodus 35 and 36, this kind of redoubling, this repetition of what God has said earlier, but now Moses is delivering these commands to the people. We'll begin by reading Exodus 35, 1 through 9, and then I'll kind of skip ahead. I'll, I'll tell you the sections as we go. But Exodus 35, 1 through 9 reads, Moses assembled all of the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever has a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, purple, and blue, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine, linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, akasha wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. All right, now let's go ahead and skip ahead to Exodus 35, verses 20 through 29. It reads, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed akasha wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun 
spun the goat's hair and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I want you to skip ahead again to Exodus 36 verses 2 through 7. It reads, And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from their task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring us more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing uh, for the material. They had what was sufficient to do all the work and more. So this really is incredible. Moses, he calls all the people together. And remember, Moses, he's still wearing that veil, right? Because he's met with God and God's glory is just reflecting off Moses' face. It's too much for the people to handle. And so with this kind of scene, Moses, he gathers the people together and he stresses that everything he's about to tell them, it's all from God. These are God's commands. They're not his commands. He didn't come up with it. This is the instruction from the Lord. Now, the last time as, as God was kind of finishing up his instruction to Moses that was to be given to the people, it was back in Exodus 31. And the last instruction that God gave was the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. You work six days and you rest on the seventh. This is the last command that God gives. And so now here, right after that command is given, what happens? Well, the people they fall into all kinds of idolatry. All these shenanigans are going on. God sends Moses down the mountain and, and everything happens from there. Well, now here Moses is again in front of the people and it's as, as if he just picks up right where God leaves off. He begins with the Sabbath and he says, we're going to keep the Sabbath. We work hard six days and you're going to rest on the seventh. And there's such like importance with this command that God says, if you violate that command, well, there's going to be a death penalty imposed on this one. That's how important it is that you rest on the Sabbath kind of gives us a little insight today into how important it is that we find our continual rest in Jesus. Just how important that is as believers that we rest continually in Jesus because the expression of our Sabbath looks a little different, but it is no less important. And so after the Sabbath is given, then Moses, he delivers God's command to build. He tells the people, hey, we got to get building and this is how we're to build. And these are the instructions concerning the building. And here's the leaders who are going to help you with this process. And the point here is that God in his mercy is emphasizing that he is allowing these rebellious sinners, these violators of his covenant to participate in the declaration of his glory and in the building 
of his place where he is going to dwell, the building place of his presence. I mean, it really is incredible. The privilege of being able to build the place where God is going to dwell is extended to these rebellious sinners who God has reestablished the covenant with them. But when God reestablished the covenant, he didn't just say, okay, I'm going to put the covenant back in place, but you know, you guys are just messed up. You guys have too many issues. So here's what we're going to do. Y'all just sit on the sidelines. You watch me work because this is how it's supposed to be done. No, God doesn't do that at all. Instead, he again invites them to be a part of the process. He says, I'm saving you for a purpose. You are my people. I'm going to use you to build my kingdom. So you understand that you've been saved for a purpose too. You haven't been saved just to sit on the sidelines and watch and see what God does. You've been saved to be an active participant. You've been saved with a purpose. And that's what we're going to see is that as the building project begins to take place, the building of the tabernacle and the way that we show gratitude for, for this salvation is just that we relish the opportunity, the responsibility that the Lord has given to us. We're not a people who just kind of sit back on our hands and say, oh, well, we'll just kind of see what happens. No, we're, we're, we're not a people who say, well, you know, do, do I have to disciple somebody? Do, do I have to pour my life into somebody? I mean, what's enough? Like, where's the line? You know, is there some kind of box I can just check and then we'll call it good? No, we're not like that at all. I mean, if we've really tasted the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only natural response is, wow, this is incredible. You mean you want to use me? Even after all I've done, you still want to use me to be a part of this? Well, I'm all in. Whatever you're asking, I will do. That's the right response, and that's the response that the people have. Here, what do I need to give? I'll give it. How hard do I need to work? Because I'll work at it. Whatever I need to do, I'm all in. You understand, duty is a word of delight for the believer. Yeah, there's a command. God is saying, give, you're going to build this. Here's the instructions. There is a command. There is a duty. But it's also the delight of the believer to do this. The Israelites, they're not going to be compelled to this duty. It's a free will duty. The Israelites, they're given the command here to build the tabernacle. And yet, all of the materials that are going to be used for the building are going to be because the Israelites chose to give it. God, God doesn't coerce them and he doesn't say, okay, Moses, you need to go out there. You need to twist their arms. You need to compel them. You need to tax them. You need to make sure that they are giving. There's no guilt trips here. There's no arm twisting here. Yes, it's a duty, but it's all going to be delight. It's all voluntary. Yes, the building of God's tabernacle is God's work, but in his mercy, he chose his people to be a part of it. Yes, the building of the church is God's work, but in his mercy, he chooses you and me to be a part of it. So now, understand clearly that the New Testament application of this passage is not going out building church buildings. It's building the church. There's a huge difference there. The church is the people. The building, this building where I'm standing in right now talking to you, this is not the house of God. You understand that you and me, 
We're the house of God. God chooses to indwell us. Do you see how that elevates you as a child of God? That God doesn't choose to just indwell brick and mortar, but God chooses to indwell flesh and blood. And so we, as we build his kingdom, we're not about building buildings. I mean, yes, sometimes we build buildings and they're nice, but we build buildings primarily for us so that we can gather together, do what the, the Bible tells us to do, but in a place that's comfortable, that's free of distractions, that we're not getting rain on or hearing the traffic go by, but that we can concentrate and that we can use our skill and our creativity to build a building that's going to help facilitate that. But that's really mainly for us. No, the building project that God has called us to is we build into the lives of people. We invest in people. We pour ourselves into people. This might help some of that, but it's all to invest in people, to build into people. So Moses, he tells the people, yeah, you're allowed to give. Give as you want. Give as your heart is moved. And you give the very best of what you have toward this because here's the list of what God wants you to give. You don't just get to decide, well, I think I'll give my leftovers here. I have this little extra. Maybe I'll give that. No, Moses is saying, here's the list. Here's what God's asked for. This is what you give. And so it's an incredible invitation because most says anybody can give. God's not saying, well, hey, you know, I'll take, I'll take y'all's gifts because, you know, y'all look like y'all can afford it. But you over there, <laughs> no, nah, you're not really going to be able to give to this. No, God says anybody can give and here's what you can give. And after this incredible invitation you'd, or this declaration of what can be given, you'd almost expect Moses to do like an offertory invitation at that time, right? Where Moses is like, all right, guys, let's go ahead. Let's pass the plates. You guys go ahead, empty your pockets, give all you want. But that's not what Moses does. Do you see verse 20? He actually sends everybody home. I mean, just go home. You know, we're not, we're not taking an offering today. You go home because any gift that's going to be given is going to be completely voluntary. You're going to give because your heart moves within you because you are motivated out of free will and out of joy and out of excitement to just give to this. And so he sends them all home. You know what's interesting? This is the exact opposite way that Aaron led. You remember when they built that golden calf? Well, Aaron, he gives a speech and then he goes around and he actually tells everybody, okay, you don't have a choice in the matter. Any, anybody out there who has any gold earrings on right now, you're taking your gold earrings off and you're putting them here and we're going to take all that gold and we're building the golden calf. And they do it right then and there. It's not out of free will. It's out of compulsion. They don't have time to think about it. They don't have time to, to really make sure their heart is moving within them to do it. It's just boom on the spot. You've got to do it. But see God, he doesn't lead that way. He doesn't want people who are just motivated in the moment by some kind of feeling or something like that. He wants people whose hearts are really stirred toward him. He wants this motivated out of relationship, out of love toward him to truly give, to joyfully give, to generously give. And that's what the people do. They're motivated and they come back. I mean, that's what we see. The people come back and they bring their gold and they bring their silver and they bring their bronze and they bring all their fine skins and they bring all their precious metals and they bring all their nice stones and they keep coming back and everybody comes back. I mean, that's, that's the point. You get the men coming back, the women coming back, you got the workers coming back, you got the leaders coming back. Everybody's coming back. Everybody wants to be a part of this. 
everybody's giving. God's people are overwhelmingly generous because of God's presence. See, that, that's the kicker right there. God's people are overwhelmingly generous because of God's presence. See, anybody can be generous. We've all met generous people who don't have a relationship with God, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and they can be generous for a variety of reasons, right? They just want to do good to somebody. Maybe, hey, what goes around comes around, or, you know, this would be the right thing to do. This would be a noble thing to do so that I'm going to give. See, God's people, we're motivated for a different reason. We are motivated by the presence of God. That's, that's, that's it. That's the bottom line. We are motivated by the presence of God. We give, we are generous because we want to bring God's presence into the life of that person. So we're generous to them. We're, we're motivated to give. We are generous because we want to see the return of Christ. So we are generous with our time preaching the gospel until every tribe has heard. The Israelites, they give because they want the presence of God in their midst. That's the motivation of our generosity. It's always the presence of God. So this is what happens in camp. The people are generously given, and they're given, and they're given. Moses, he gets everybody together. They're working. They're using their gifts, their skills that God has given them, right? Because all gifts are ultimately God's, and we're just kind of stewards of it. Well, the people are stewarding their gifts. They're stewarding their talents. They're getting to work on the tabernacle. And as they begin doing this day after day, the people continue to give day after day. Other people keep bringing the stuff every day. And the people, they're doing this part of the work, and the other people are doing this part of the work, and the other people are doing this part of the tabernacle. And, and they have to go back to Moses, and they say, Moses, we've all got way too much stuff. I mean, we have too much stuff for the wall, and we've got too much stuff for the fabric, and we've got too much stuff for this. We all have too much stuff, Moses. I mean, we, we can't even use all this stuff. And so Moses, he has to go back to the people, and he has to spread word throughout all the camp. And he initiates a stop the giving campaign. I mean, any leader would salivate to have to do that, right? Anybody who's ever tried to raise money for anything would love to be able to do this. And this is what Moses does. Stop the giving. I have to restrain. And that's the word that's used. He has to restrain the people from giving because they are so motivated. They are so excited to give. It's like Christmas morning, right? When you have this gift that you just can't wait to give someone because you know they're going to love it. And you can't wait for them just to kind of tear into the package and to see the expression on their face. I mean, this is the way the Israelites are. They can't wait for the presence of God to be right in their camp. And so they're going to give everything they have for that to happen. And they're giving and they're giving and they're giving. And Moses has to say, no, stop giving because they have way too much. You know, it's interesting. Moses doesn't say, all right, well, hey, you know, this is really great. Now we have all this extra stuff over here. Maybe one day we can build a better tabernacle someplace, or maybe we can reallocate the funds here and do something else over there. No, he doesn't do all that. He just says, stop giving. We've got enough. And so this, this is what happens. See, the point is that the people were so overwhelmingly generous in their giving because they wanted to see the presence of God. They realized the extent of their sin. You know, that's a big part of it here, is the Israelites knew just the extent to which they had failed. 
They knew how they had abandoned God, abandoned the covenant that he had made with them, how they had shattered all that, how they had chose to worship their own way and what they thought was best. And they did that by building this fake cow God and engaging in all kinds of crazy worship to this God. They knew that they had violated that covenant and the just penalty for the violation of that covenant, well, it was to be disowned, to be abandoned, to be destroyed. Yet, instead of being disowned, instead of being abandoned, instead of being destroyed, God reinitiated the covenant. Instead of disowning them, he claimed them as his people again. He owned them. You are still my people. Instead of abandoning them, he says, no, the tabernacle is going forth. I'm going to continue to dwell. I want to dwell in your midst to be right in the thick of it with you. Instead of destroying them, he gives them a purpose for life, a reason for being. And they are excited and they are joyful about it. And so they're doing everything they can. You understand, the question now comes to us because we have been invited to be a part of this same building campaign. Oh, the expression of it's a little different today. We're not trying to build a tent for God to dwell in. We're trying to engage and disciple others so God's presence can now find a home in their lives as well. And we should have the same response as the Israelites because we too are rebellious sinners. We too have violated what God has said we must do in order to enter into heaven, in order to be in relationship with him. We violated all that. And the violation of that, the sin, well, it deserves to be disowned, to be abandoned, to be destroyed. And yet, just like the Israelites, God has adopted you. He's claimed you as his own. Instead of abandoning you, well, he indwells you if you're a believer. His spirit lives within you. You are the house of God. And instead of destroying you, well, he's given you purpose. He's given you a reason for being. He's allowed you to be a part of this building project to continue to advance his kingdom. And so what's your attitude going to be? Is it going to be overwhelmingly generous just to go out, hey, whatever it takes to see God's kingdom advanced, I'm all in. Time, talent, treasure, whatever it takes, I want to see this thing happen. Or do you shrink back? Is it a grudging kind of gift? Is, is it, um, I don't know if I can do that, a, a disbelief kind of gift? Oh, I don't, I don't think God could use me. Or is it all in? Is your attitude all in or is it holding back? You know, for the Israelites, it looked like hope was lost. It looked like there was no coming back from what they've done because the covenant was in pieces, right? Moses showed them the extent of what they had done. They had broken the covenant. It was in pieces. They deserved to be disowned, abandoned, destroyed. Hope seemed lost. And yet now, as we move into this last part of the book, we see this phrase gets repeated over and over and over and over again. And it's this phrase, the people did what the Lord commanded. The people did what the Lord commanded. The people did what the Lord commanded. They're not doing it their own way anymore. They recognize that God's way is the best way. And in that, we see something incredible. And that is lost hope really can be restored. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that when we're trying to run up that wall and there was just no hope, we're never going to make it, that you reached down and you grabbed us so that we could be in relationship with you. And God, you invite us as a part of that relationship to go and to build your kingdom. So God, may we do that well this week. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.